Pastor Bill Carpenter. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of the childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. Nathan is coming to do a a two-minute teaching for those fancy Christian words. Say it with me. Eschatology. It means the study of the end times or the study of the last things. So when people use the word eschatology, they mean things like the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead, and the last judgment, and, and all of these, these good things that are coming. That's eschatology. Well, I want to speak to you about one little subsection of eschatology, the family. Have you noticed that in Scripture, when it talks about this coming heavenly world, this, this eternal life that we have together, it doesn't say much about family as we know it. Like, like, where are all the marriages, all these weddings? Where, where, are, uh, where are the kids exactly? I mean, it talks about kids being there in the new world, but, like, uh, but people having children. You don't make this really strong connection in Scripture. But what you do have is, is this idea of resurrection and these people being raised, and that seems to have something to do with family. Listen to this. This is out of Luke 20, verses 34 through 36. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they're equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Okay, so in this age, people get married and they make babies and it's all wonderful. We we love family. That's fantastic. But in that age, the eternal age, Jesus says, it's not going to work that way. People don't get married in the the way they used to now, uh, and they don't have children in the way they used to apparently, but rather they're raised from the dead and they're sons of the resurrection. They're sons and daughters of the resurrection. So what that means then is in the future, it's all about the resurrection as children. We're all children. We're all part of one family in the future. Is this making sense? We're all literally going to be one family in in the future. So in this age, the way that families work is there's a legal basis for families, and the normal legal basis is if it's your genetics and you have a child, then that child is your child. They're part of your family. But in the future, how does it work? What is the legal basis for family? It's not biology anymore, is it? The legal basis for for family is the resurrection. And you might say the reality in the future is adoption. God the Father adopts all of us. 
That's what Luke is talking about. That's what our passage in Romans 8 is talking about. So in other words, adoption is the realest thing possible when you think in terms of eternity. Is everybody on board? Okay, so far so good? I'm going to leave you with one final thought here. If that is our eternal reality, then why is it that we keep on talking about biological family as being the realest thing? We keep on talking about biological families as being like the kind of the coolest, uh, most natural good thing. And of course, natural families are fantastic. But we talk about these adopted children like they're supposed to fit into our biological families, and that's true. But what if it were the opposite? What if the most Christian thing to say isn't so much that we should make adopted kids feel like the biological family, but maybe our biological family, we should have them understand adoption. Maybe adoptive families and adopted children have an insight into eternity that the rest of us don't have. So that's where we're going today, and I'm really excited to hear uh, the Word of God and Pastor Dave uh, explaining that to us. Thank you, Nathan. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm not the biggest fan of thunderstorms. Uh, In college, I had a near-death experience with a friend of mine, and ever since then, I've just, you know, kind of wigs me out a little bit being around uh, thunderclouds and lightning and just the possibility of getting struck and whatnot. But there is one thing that I really enjoy about a thunderstorm, and especially that's when it happens during the middle of the day. Uh, when, when you got a bright summer sunny day and then all of a sudden the, the, the clouds roll in and you have the wind and the storm comes. But then right after it's over, um, almost as quickly as it comes, the clouds start to disperse and then there's this moment where the sun breaks through. Ever see that? Maybe you, you're a photographer and you try to get a picture of just that one moment where that first beam of sunlight comes through. It's almost like these dark clouds are trying as best as they can to hold back the sun, but the sun's too powerful. And it breaks through. And you know, that that first beam of light, you know, says very quickly you'll be back to your summer sunny day. The the future is bright. And I think that's what adoption does for us. It's like that picture. It's a glimpse of God's brand new kingdom breaking through the clouds. And it reminds us that the future is coming soon and that it's very bright, as Nathan said. So we're looking at the idea of adoption today in light of Adoption April here at Life Church. So Adoption April, we raise funds for adoption, we raise awareness for adoption, everything adoption. We do all kinds of things to try to, to build our hearts around this idea that God has adopted us into his family. And it's interesting to read from church history that from the very beginning, uh, Christian followers began adopting children at alarming rates. It's well documented that in Greco-Roman culture, infanticide was a huge problem. So they would have children, and you know, if the, much like in our culture today, um, with abortion, if the child was the wrong gender, or if the child had some sort of birth defect or whatever, um, the child would be left, and they would actually have these places, whether they were under brothels or wherever, where they would leave piles of children to die. And archaeologists have discovered these places. They were just like sections of the city where you could leave your child to just die. And Christians... Um, figured out that this was happening, and they began going to those places, picking up those children, and then adopting them into their families. Now, you might say, what motivated them to do that? After all, these are Roman children. The Romans were their oppressors. Why should they care for their children? Um, And I think maybe there's a couple different things. First of all, Christians have always believed in the, the theological concept of the Imago Dei, that every human being is created in the image of God. We are image bearers of God doesn't matter what nationality you are, what race you are, what, what you look like, you or, or what, your, um, what your mental capacity is, you, have, you are an image bearer of God. And so that was part of what motivated them. But I also think it was passages like these that we read in Romans 8 that motivated the Christians. That there was a simple realization in their minds that they too had been far away from God. That they too had been cast out and left for dead but that Jesus came looking for them, found them, rescued them, and adopted them into God's family. And from the first century on, Christians have always been pro-adoption. And for this reason, I'm asking the Lord, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, would you please just continue to build our hearts at Life Church for this thing called adoption, wanting to increase our heart's passion for it. And the coolest thing is that when we do this work, like we did this past week at the rummage sale, so many of you showed up and donated time and effort and energy 
When we do this work, the whole world gets to see a glimpse that the kingdom is breaking through. They get to see a little ray of that light coming down. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to look for a moment with you at your adoption story. Because you have one, right? If you're a Christian in here today, you have an adoption story. You do. And if you're not a Christian today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. I want you to know that you can have an adoption story, that God's gone to incredible lengths to provide you a path into his family through his son, Jesus. But along the way, I want to highlight some parallels between your adoption story as a Christian and Ginny and I's experience adopting our sweet grace. For the sake of some structure, this will make you Presbyterians happy, there are three basic parts to your story, right? You have, your adoption story has a past reality, it is a present struggle, and you have a future hope. Okay, so a past reality, a present struggle, and a future hope. And as you can tell as we read Romans 8 today, this, this section of Romans 8, this is one of the best examples in Scripture that we find of the theological concept of the already not yet. Right? That's what we call it. That many things that the Lord has purchased for us and for his children have already come to pass and are already activated, already realized. But there are some things that we have to wait for patiently. Right? And so that, that's really true when it comes to this concept of adoption. So first then, the past reality. And look with me at verses 12 through 16 here. Verses 12 through 16. Now, what you'll notice here is that our passage today um, isn't talking, Paul isn't talking to the Christians at Rome about adopting children. I kind of wish that was the case because that'd make it really easy um, interpreting that and just talking about why we should adopt children. But that's not his goal here. That's not anything about what Romans 8 is aiming for, right? Instead, what's Paul doing here? Well, in the past couple of chapters and in Romans 8, the first part of Romans 8, he's talking to them about some really big theological concepts like sin and grace and the law and how the law actually can't do what it was set out to do, right? It, It doesn't make us holy like we had dreamed it would. We need the Spirit to do that, right? So Paul's saying, hey, you you need the Spirit to make you holy. And then in verse 12 and 13, we see Paul contrasting two different kinds of people. Look at it. So, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So Paul says there's two basic kinds of people in the world. There's people that live according to the flesh. That's, that's kind of another name for that is the sinful nature, right? Those drives that, that are in us by nature, that we're born into sin. We live according to those things. Paul says that brings about death in our lives. But then he said there's another kind of person. That's a person that's led by the Spirit, and those people, those people led by the Spirit don't fulfill the, the desires of the flesh, and those people are led into life. And then he makes this really cool transition here. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So Paul's tying adoption, our adoption as sons and daughters of God, to living holy lives, not in the flesh. That's what he's going for here. That's what he's doing here. He's using the idea of adoption to connect these two ideas. He's saying, um, he's connecting being adopted as God's child to a life of spirit-led obedience. So how do you know you've been adopted? How do you know this is a past reality according to Paul? Well, there's two basic things. First of all, you've received God's Holy Spirit, and you're being led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. It's one way, it's a dead giveaway you can know. I've been adopted into God's family. And by the Spirit, you're putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Notice Paul doesn't say, hey, just, just apply some more effort. Just work a little harder to be good, to clean yourself up, to go fix yourself. You just need to do that. No, he says, you can't do that in your own flesh, in your own self-will. He says, by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's one of the ways you know you're adopted, because he says, for all who are sons of God, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Right? So you're, you're living a holy life. You're being led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. That's one of the ways you know you're adopted. But secondly, if we look at verse 14, or verse 15 and 16, you have an identity change. You move from a slave, which could be a slave to um, the law, as we sang about this morning. Um, it can mean a slave to sin, as Paul talks about in Romans 6, just a couple chapters earlier. Think of, think of the children of Israel here. He's kind of, he's kind of denoting that here. But he says, you move from a slave, your identity is not as a slave, it's a son or a daughter. So one of the ways you know you've been adopted into God's family is you begin to see God 
as father. Look at the language he uses here in verse 15. He says, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba is the same word that Jesus used to cry out to his father in Mark 14, verse 36. So is that a reality for you, friends? Are you being led by the Spirit day in and day out in your life? No doubt we're still going to struggle with the flesh. No doubt we're still going to struggle with sin. But is the general tone of your life a life led by the Spirit? And are you beginning to see God as Father? Or is he a judge in your life? Is he just nothing more than you know, some big cosmic deity waiting to beat you with a stick when you screw up? Or is he a father? That's how Paul would say we recognize that we've been adopted. So if you believed in Jesus Christ, and if you confessed him as your Lord and Savior and received his Holy Spirit, you have been adopted. Paul says that. Verse 14, it is a reality. Verse 15, you have received the spirit of adoption. It's in the past tense. Your adoption has happened. It's something that's been done for you, and it wasn't something that's in your control. Let's look at another one of Paul's writings where he puts a finer point on this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. Says, Paul says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, get this, he predestined us for adoption, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. I know there's a lot of debate around these verses, but honestly, this is meant to be a wonderful comfort to the believer. But just think about that. Long before you were even born, God was thinking about you. Long before you ever turned your heart to think about serving Jesus, God had done the the, the background work to make you his own. Isn't that crazy? Before the foundation of the world, your adoption, friends, is a past reality. It makes me think of how our grace had no say in her adoption. And in the early days, in the early years of our adopting her, which we're still somewhat in, um, she was really mad about this. And she would make no bones about it. She was not happy that she didn't have a choice or a say in her being adopted. Which I get that, right? Like, orphans already don't have much of a voice. And then this massive thing happens to them that they have no control over. They didn't get to choose their family or choose their family's income level or choose any kind of thing about their adoption. It just happens to them. I think if Grace had a choice, she would have turned it down. After all, it was super scary She didn't know what was going on. Even if the future looked brighter down that path, it was just too scary to choose that. Adoption was a work done to grace, not by grace, and it's the same in your case. God saw you in desperate need, and he chose to adopt you. You were not out looking for a heavenly father. You were running from him. And he went after you, chose you, adopted you. He filed the paperwork to make you his own. He sent in the dossier. And I'm wondering, what does that do for you? What does that do for you to know that, that's, that all this work and effort happened for you long before you ever thought of God? Long before you ever decided to, you know, to, to, to follow Jesus, that all this work was happening for you? I think it's also important to point out that when God adopted us and chose us before the foundation of the world, he didn't pick sweet little orphans who just needed a home. According to the scriptures, he picked his enemies, right? He picked sinful, rebellious children who didn't want him. And honestly, this has been a constant source of comfort and calm um, throughout our adoption journey. You know, lots of people expect, and we've been asked this several times, that, oh, isn't your daughter really thankful? I mean, she's so lucky, isn't she? And they're good, well-meaning people. You know, like, they just see that they got a lot, and they, they didn't have a lot, right? Um, so you can understand that. But um, Ginny and I had really good training by our adoption agency, so we didn't expect that Grace was going to be thankful. But I don't think anything quite prepares you for the moment when your child's not only ungrateful for their adoption, but resentful that they've been adopted. You know, like, like resentful. And in those moments those moments with grace, uh, I felt the Holy Spirit teaching me a lot about myself. That this is my reality. This is what's been true for me. That while I was an enemy of God, Christ came for me. And even after I said yes to following Jesus, there were so many moments where I said, no, I want to go back to my old things. I want to go back to my old way of life. I'll take Egypt even over this. 
right? I'll go back to the things, even though they're, they're destructive, they're, they're comfortable things. And he still pursued me. Yes, we have been adopted, but it was not because of us. It was because of Ephesians, the riches of his grace. It's in spite of us, really. I think it's amazing that God would adopt such rebellious children into his family. But perhaps the most amazing thing about your story is the cost that God paid to adopt you, right? To adopt us. Everyone knows that adoption's expensive. That's why we're, you know, peddling goods at the rummage sale all week, right? Because it's expensive. It's expensive. It's, our adoption of grace was a little over 40 grand. It's a lot of money, right? And I now think that that was the least of the cost. I remember thinking, that's the big cost, you know, and several people I've talked to thought, wow, that's going to be the big thing. If we can just get over that. But there's a lot more cost waiting. The Dahans have a lot more costs, and they know what they're going into. There's emotional costs, um, because you're dealing with pretty much a child who most of the time has PTSD, severe trauma. There's, um, there's mental cost, there's physical toll that it takes on your body from dealing with people that are just incredibly stressed out. And then the cost on your family, there's just costs everywhere. And your adoption story with God was no different. In fact, it cost God an unthinkable amount to purchase you and bring you into his family. It cost him the life of his own son who suffered, died, and rose again so that we could be welcomed into his family. Could there be a greater cost. When you think about what did it cost God to love you and welcome you into his family, could have there been anything more valuable that he would give for your life? It's incredible. The cross is a constant reminder to us as an adoption community that to adopt is to invite suffering into our lives. Period. To adopt is to invite suffering into our lives. And I'm not saying that every adoption story is really awful and hard. Um, I've, I've known several that were, just went fabulously well. Some of them that were way easier than caring for their biological children, right? And biological children, parenting is no picnic either, right? That's not easy either. Um, but to adopt is to invite suffering into our lives. And we see that throughout the gospel. And most adoptions that I know were, are tremendously hard. You know, you've got attachment issues. You've got um, all kinds of behavior issues. You've got mental health issues. You've got trauma issues, um, sometimes care issues before birth, care issues right after birth, fetal alcohol syndrome. There's just a ton of things that create problems. And hey, if most of us went through what our adopted kids went through, we'd be a handful to deal with as well, right? They've been through unimaginable things. So it, it just, people that go through those things are hard to work with. And so there's a lot of different things that, that come with that. And I want to say to you families in here that if you've adopted and there's suffering in your family because of adoption, I just want to say to you, I think that's normal. I think that's normal. And based on our story with God, I think that makes sense. And I would just encourage you that every time it gets hard in your adoption journey and there's suffering to come back to the cross. Like we, we adopt with a cross-centered mindset. Like, we look upon the infinite suffering of our God on our behalf and we say, okay, I can hang in there and I can continue to suffer and struggle as I extend this adoptive hand to this child because that's what God did for me, right? That's what God did for me. That's what fueled the early Christian adoption efforts and that's what should fuel ours as well. When our children are ungrateful and resentful, we got to remember that that was us too, We've been ungrateful and even resentful for the work that God did for us. We've ran from him at times. And above all, we can be comforted by verse 18 of our text. It says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. These sufferings are momentary and light, and what's coming is incredibly bright. There is hope. And that brings us to the second part of our, our journey, the present struggle. Notice all the words in this text. Um, we're going to be in verses 17 through 23, but notice all the words in the, this sort of middle section about longing and um, um, groaning and the pains of childbirth. There's lots of struggle in this middle part of the journey, right? 
while Jesus' death and resurrection made salvation possible in a moment, there's still this, this process that a believer must go through. It's kind of like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and Paul seems to be making some comments about that with the, the slavery theme and stuff like that. They, they, they had to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land, right? And the journey was hard and stony. They had to go through something very, very difficult to get to the end goal, this, this place that God had for them. And the same thing is true for us. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, so there's a condition, we, what? Everybody say it. Suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. So there's suffering in the journey. It's a struggle. We have a present struggle. So our adoption means that God's going to suffer on our behalf, right? We've already concluded that, that God takes on incredible suffering. But it also means that we suffer as we become his children and follow Christ. There's a great cost to discipleship. And Paul's been explaining that throughout this, the first part of the chapter, that that cost um, involves a great deal of putting to death who we used to be, our old self, the flesh, and living out this new identity in the spirit. And this is anything but easy, as Paul would attest to in Romans 7, but it is necessary. Discipleship is costly. Being a child of God is the most wonderful thing in the world, but it involves taking on a whole entirely new identity. It involves taking on um, a new way of thinking, a new way of relating, a new way of behaving. It involves dropping our trashy old identity for something harder and better. You know, once the Spirit of God enters you, you'd think that things would get easier, right? But look at verses 22 and 23. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who as the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So you think, oh, well, once we got the Spirit, now it'll get easier, but it actually seems like, no, the Spirit makes us groan inwardly because now we have a realization of who we are really created to be. And we're like, I'm not that. I'm not who I was created to be. This is frustrating. I can't wait for the resurrection body. I can't wait for, for that time where I really am the child of God that I know that I am, but I, I question it at times. I struggle with it at times. It's, it's true, but it's not quite realized. Now you say, wait, I thought that we had been adopted. I thought that was a past reality. Yes, you have. Everything about your adoption is true, but not all of the benefits have been realized yet. We're in the already, not yet. That's why... It's a present struggle. That's why there's suffering. And our sweet grace has suffered more in the past three years since we adopted her than I like to think about, to be really honest with you. And no doubt she suffered greatly before that, but it's been a terrible struggle for her to come to terms with her adoption. Oftentimes over the past three years, especially in the first year, she asked us to send her back to Ghana. And I'm sure part of her meant that. Like, I want to go back. I don't want to be here. I don't want to, I don't want to go through this difficult process of changing my identity and becoming a daughter with a family and all the feelings that come with that. I mean, she didn't have to wrestle with changing her identity in Ghana. She didn't have to wrestle with um, thinking like she's a part of a family. But she had no inheritance. She had no future there. It was Egypt, but it was comfortable. And I'm sure the daily battle for grace continues to feel like she's our child, but bit by bit, she becomes more confident in her identity, not as an orphan, but as a beloved child with a family, with a future, with an inheritance, with parents that love her. Friends, being a child of God is difficult. But as Paul says, the future glory far outweighs the suffering. And that brings us to the last part of your journey, a future hope. The last part of your story is what Nathan was talking about. It's the eschaton. It's where your adoption journey is complete upon Jesus' return. It's when he makes everything new and we're living on a new earth as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Look at verse 22 again. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I liked how Christina brought this out about singleness too, that it's like pains of childbirth, right? That's what adoption is. It's, it's like pains of childbirth. It's pointing to something great that's coming, but it's painful in the, in the now. It's difficult in the now. It's not easy. The text says that we're not the only ones groaning and longing. The whole creation is frustrated with this, this place that we're in. Um, 
You know, I once heard that a clam is exactly who God created it to be right now. But they're frustrated with us because we're not. And they can't wait until the moment when God reveals us as the children of God that we were meant to be. You know, the creation, they're, they're not, their nature isn't broken like ours. But they're subjected to the brokenness of our sin. And so they have to endure with it for now. And they can't wait. So every, every bit of creation is longing and eager for Jesus to come back, for him to make everything right, raise the dead, and, and restore us to who we were made to be as his children. That's where we're heading. I think that's pretty incredible. A few weeks ago, I was talking to Grace about this, sort of exactly what Nathan was saying. And I said to her, you know, honey, uh, when Jesus comes back, you know that you'll be ahead of all of us, most of us, right? And she said, How do you, what do you mean? I said, well, you understand better how to be adopted. Like, we kind of know it in our heads that we're adopted by God, but you get it. Like, you, you've walked this path. And so when Jesus comes back, you're going to be like, oh, I get this. And then I'll be your brother. And she said, well, Dad, who's going to be our parents? I said, well, God will be. She was just blown away. <laughs> like, no more parents? I think she was like, no more parents? Cool. <laughs> But I told her as Christians, hey, we're all going to be adopted into God's family, and he's going to be our father. And that's our future. That's where we're going. It reminds me of how we did this legal process with grace. You know, we had to make two trips to Ghana. The first one was sort of the legal trip, and then the next one was the trip where we actually pick her up. And so the first day we got to Ghana, we met grace. The next day we had court. It was way too fast. It was awful, awful, awful introduction. But that's the way it went, and that's the way they thought it should go. So she comes with these strangers to court, and I'm just like, please, God, don't let her have a fit, or they're never going to give us this child. And she did. She sat on my lap while we had that court by God's grace, and, she, and they gave her to us. They said, this, this girl will be Dottam Sinkraven. Um, and so she was legally ours. Everything about her adoption at that moment was completed. Um, she was ours, but it wasn't fully realized yet. We had to go and finish everything up. We had to go prepare a place for her, and we promised to come back again. Does that sound familiar? We said, Grace, here's some pictures. Here's some promises. We're going to Skype with you. We're going to remind you of your home, and then we're going to come back as soon as we can to get you and to bring you to, to us, bring you home, so that you can actually fully realize it. Everything had been done, but it wasn't fully realized yet. I think our story is similar to that. We're looking confidently in the future. Look at verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. We're hoping for it. We're looking confidently at it. That Jesus is going to come back. He is going to adopt us into his family. But it's not been done yet. So we have this future hope that we're confident in. God's done all the legal work. He paid the price for us to make us his. But we haven't arrived home yet. We visit our home through prayer now. But we look forward to the day when he comes back to remake the world, raise the dead, and give us our inheritance. Now, if this is the reality we're heading for, then it changes a lot of how we do things now, doesn't it? I mean, if this is the reality, if adoption really is the reality and the biological family is just the shadow, it changes a lot of the things that we think about and the ways that we re relate. It has radical implications. Jesus would certainly agree with what Nathan said today. And in fact, some of the things that Jesus says when you actually read the Gospels, they're not just sort of like whatever about family. They're so negative about family that you might say they can't even be played on Life 96.5. I mean, look at what he says in Matthew 12. Jesus says, stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. It's like, what do you mean? Jesus, those aren't your brothers. He's like, no, these are my brothers and my mother. And then he, probably the most unpopular thing that Jesus ever said, Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life cannot be my disciple. He's not saying that literally you need to hate them, but he's saying that your love for me must make your love for them pale in comparison. Your allegiance to me must be far greater than your allegiance to any biological family. Jesus is clearly blowing up our categories of what family is. And what he's saying is that there's a new kingdom coming, right? There's a new reality inside that kingdom. And in that new kingdom, we're related not by our physical blood, 
but we're related by the commonality of Jesus' blood. Right? That's what's coming. Brothers and sisters, I can call you that because the waters of baptism are stronger than your biological blood. That's the truth. As we're in Christ, we're united by stronger bonds than the biological family. And adoption continually points us to that reality, that someday we'll be related by our adoption and not by our human blood. I came across a story. Let's pull this up. Um, I think that illustrates this better than I can put into words. I want to look at how this dad really got this. Like, I have never seen somebody who got this reality of the new kingdom better than this particular dad. This is the story of Ike Brown. He's a police officer in Jacksonville, Florida. And Ike Brown's son was named after him, Isaac Brown Jr. And uh, his son was playing video games at a friend's house. And his friend had invited another friend over who Ike didn't know. And that friend decided to try to rob them. And it went bad, and he murdered both of them. And so Ike Brown's son, Isaac Brown Jr., was murdered by Takoya Kreiner. And we're going to pick up the story at uh, the trial of Takoya Kreiner. And I want you to see the new kingdom breaking through. Yeah, I'll be alone. I want to hear from you. 
left. And it said Dickerson Brown. You know, I now know that God's great. And I told God that if I heard from you, I would give my life to the rest of my days. And uh, he was sharing this with me. And he said, Mr. Brown, you asked me for a favor. You asked me, can I fill in for you? I assume that I'm not qualified now, but if you have this point on, you're my dad, I'm your son. Amen. Can you see it, brothers and sisters? Could there be a clearer picture of the kingdom breaking through now? I pray that we can push for this in Life Church, um, that through adoption we can show the world that this really is coming, this new kingdom. 
And it doesn't matter who you are, what your, what your background is in Life Church, you can have a part to play in pushing forward a culture of adoption, making it easy for families to adopt in Life Church. Um, for some of you, maybe that's uh, not necessarily bringing a child into your home, though I think the Lord's going to ask more of us to do that for the praise of his name, to actually adopt children. I think he will challenge us to do that. Um, for some of you, maybe it's sponsoring a child through Adam's Thermal Foundation. It's a great way to get involved in being a part of a child's life just on a consistent basis. And for others of you, it's being involved in things like the rummage sale and, and helping to push forward those kinds of things that really do make a huge difference for a family going through the process, raising funds for the adoption fund, which supports families not only in the process, but also once they get home, so they can get counseling and lots of care that they inevitably need. Maybe some of us going to be involved in caring for adoptive families in the, the tri-state area. We're really excited to announce that this coming fall, we're going to be partnering with Caitlin's Fund to bring in families from Mitchell and from Sioux Falls and from the surrounding areas that have adopted and need prayer support. Uh, we're going to provide them a meal. We're going to provide them um, child care and prayer support so that they can just come in and learn and grow and be cared for and be nurtured in that way. Uh, maybe you're going to sign up to do child care. Maybe you're going to sign up to help cook that meal. Or maybe you can say, hey, I'll pray over one family and just, just really bless them with some prayer covering and support. Whatever it is, let's all get involved in this good work. Because when we do, friends, the kingdom is shown to everybody around us. Amen? Amen, Pastor Bill. enemy did not want Life Church to fail. There's nothing the enemy would love more than for you and, and I to feel um, disenfranchised. Franchised, alone, or even to feel unacceptable or unadoptable. But God's intent and purpose is breakthrough. And that's what Pastor Dave's message was all about today was this, this sense of Adoption is a breakthrough. It's a way for you to come close to God and for God to be close to you. If you're a Christian, you have a story, as David said. It is a story of adoption. If you're not a Christian today, you're invited into a story. You're invited to change your storyline so that you are able to become that that God intended for you to be and to live out that story as a praise and an honor and a glory unto God. David spoke about past reality, and maybe yours is like everyone else's, just running, running from something, maybe you don't even know what it is, running from something you don't want to be or something you don't want to do, and yet you seem to be doing and being all of that at the same time. God has made a way for you to stop running and to come in and to receive from him the gift of eternal life. David talked about the present struggles, suffering, this groaning inwardly of being something and knowing there's something better, or knowing there's a, there's a place for me and yet not being able to be there, not being able to find it, not being able to, to tap into it. And so there's this, this longing deep inside of something more, something bigger, something better. And Jesus has provided that. The enemy would love for you to stay in Egypt where it's comfortable and never move into that breakthrough that God has for you. And yet God has done everything possible, as David said, to bring you into that place where you can not only see the breakthrough, but break through yourself in it. And then lastly, David talked about a future hope. Fully adopted. Jesus returns. We will see him. We will be like him. We will belong. We'll be parts of God's family, brothers, sisters together, joint heirs in Christ. So you see, everything has been done. It is already done so that you can be. And even in this waiting, in this longing, in this looking, you can find this Jesus because he's there waiting for you. He is there sending out the message just like this earthly father Sending a message to you who were an enemy, who did harm to him, or whatever the case may be. But this great God, our Heavenly Father, is waiting through his Son, Jesus Christ, to bring you into that adoption. That we may all live this out together and walk it out together as a family. 
right here, right now on this earth. If this is all new to you, we so invite you to join. We so invite you to come in. The invitation is open for you to become a child of God, a son or daughter, a joint heir with Christ today. The, the, the prayer team is going to come up, and they're going to be ready to pray for you. If you've never known this, please come. Please today make that step, that first step of finding your rightful place as a joint heir with the rest of us in the family of God. And if you today are struggling with your walk with God and you feel like, you know what, I still identify with the other side so much and I, I, I still have this longing and this aching inside of me for fullness, today let God speak to your heart. Let people pray for you and join you in your struggle with prayer in order that you may see more clearly the beauty of what God wants to do in your life as a child of God. So as a team comes, I'm going to pray. Uh, those of you who are ready to go, you can be dismissed, but others stay and pray. Stay and ask God what you might do to create this culture of adoption in Life Church. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, knowing, God, that you have given everything. And knowing also, Father, that if we are led by your Spirit, we are sons and daughters. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fall back into slavery. We don't have to fall back into fear, but we can receive today fully the adoption as sons and daughters, and we can cry, Abba, Father. So we pray, God, that through us you will bear witness. Through us you will bring hope and a future. Through us you will declare a message for those today, Lord, whose hearts are broken, who are struggling and who are groaning today in this battle. I pray for them to be relieved I pray for them to be released. I pray for them to walk in breakthrough. I pray that today, God, all the darkness will dissipate like the clouds of a storm. And your love would shine through like the rays of hope and the glorious sunshine of your son, Jesus Christ. So, God, we ask you to speak to us and meet with us today as your people. And speak to us out of these words that David preached to us today. May we walk truly and confidently as the sons and the daughters of Almighty God, the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.